What's going on and welcome into a game day edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. The Pelicans continue the homestand tonight as they welcome in the Brooklyn Nets and we'll wrap things up tomorrow against the Memphis Grizzlies. Joining me as always is Jim Eikenhofer from Pelicans.com and our featured guest today is Brian Lewis who covers the Nets and the NBA for the New York Post who's here in the Big Easy to cover the game as well. Brian, welcome to New Orleans. How are you? Doing good. How are you guys doing? Good, good, good. Well, what's the choice for uh, for dinner? Where, where's the go-to tonight, or uh, what are you thinking here? You know, I do not know where I'm eating exactly. Uh, my cousin, who is a resident of your fair city, gave me a number of recipes. Her dad, Morrow's Blue Crab. Um, I don't have a car, so I'm going to have to Uber out to any of those that I go to. Um, but I'm open to any recommendations that are also in the quarter. All right. Because I'm staying in the quarter. All right. Well, I have to give you some recommendations here before we get out of here. But um, let's talk about this team a little bit, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, kind of how have what's it been like for you dealing with, you know, everything? There's been a lot of drama with this Brooklyn Nets team heading into the season. And then a lot is an understatement. But what's it kind of been like for you to have a, the, you know, an interesting situation like this with Kyrie Irving and the vaccine mandate and him still not being with the club 12 games in? Uh, I suppose I would just say uh, I've gotten used to there being a constant state of drama. Um, you know, I was just thinking about it the other day. This last season started uh, with the drama in China. You know, when right. I got off the plane in China and I thought, that was going to be high drama. I should have realized that that was just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> it's been constant drama since then. Um, but Kyrie, uh, you know, he never allows it to be boring. So there's there's always something to write about. Yeah, for sure. Um, how do you think this team has handled it? Obviously, the record-wise, they seem fine. And obviously, they have the talent on the court. But as far as just getting through it off the court. seems like it's all died down now that basketball is being played, but how do you think this team has handled it so far without him? I think they've handled it fairly well. Now, granted, as you point out, uh, they do have, I mean, you still do have two legitimate stars, even without them. And I think that's, you know, I think that's, listen, I think any team would be happy to have James Harden, right? I think that was part of the thinking. It wasn't just, okay, let's create this big three. Because that's at the that's at the peak, right? But it's also a certain amount of insurance in case something went wrong, and we've seen something has gone wrong. Um, so now you still have two stars on the court, um, you know. And whenever Kyrie comes back, if Kyrie comes back this year, that's great. But even so, now they they've got a new a new kind of defensive minded DNA that they're trying to build um, to supplement the two stars that they still have. And they're in a good spot because nobody's running away with the East the way Golden State seems to be trying to run away and hide with the West. You know, Milwaukee's got their own injury issues. Philadelphia is dealing with Simmons. So really, you know, as we're taping this, they're half a game out. So they're not in the worst spot in the world. Before I get to Jim, I was kind of leading to my next question. Is this what you kind of expected, even without Kyrie? Eight and four record. They've won six of the last seven. They're really starting to kind of pick things up. Is this kind of where you thought they would be this time to start the season? No, uh, I have to admit, 
Well, it's where I thought they'd be, but it's not how I thought they'd get there. Right. I, I presumed they would get there looking somewhat like a little bit more vulnerable version of what they were last year. They don't look anything like they did last year. This is an entirely different kind of basketball game that they play. Um, their offense, I guess I could call it a work in progress, but not a lot of progress. It's more work. <laughs> it is progress. Um, they have fits and starts. Defensively, they are far better than I could have anticipated that they would be. Um, if you had told me that they would be in the top five or six of almost every defensive metric, um, with the exception of rebounding, because they're not that big a team and they don't rebound well. Other than that, though, if you told me they'd be in the top five or six of most meaningful defensive metrics, I wouldn't have believed that. And that is not how I expected they would be eight four at this point of the season. Brian, I think when you listen to people talk about or write about the Brooklyn Nets going into the season, it seemed like it was kind of almost assumed that their offense would be, you know, the top of the league, considering they have historic talent at the end of the floor. Although overall, I know they're not off to a great start offensively. I mean, Kevin Durant, not that this is any surprise, but it just seems like he's been phenomenal so far. I mean, what, what do you think have been the, some of the most impressive things about getting to watch him game in and game out as far as the level that he plays at? Goodness. Uh, his basketball IQ, mm. the fact that he can score from every level um, so that if you were able to take away one level, and really, frankly, it's hard, to take away any from him that's how good he is but if he yep. were able to take away one level um he can still go to other parts of his game that are equally as good um there are no rules changes that you can put on kevin durant that are going to stop him from scoring that are going to completely throw him out of kilter um the way some of the rules changes have really messed with james harden yeah um he is a complete offensive player who works harder than I knew he worked before I started covering him. And that wasn't to say that I thought he was lazy or that he was quote, a natural and it just came easily to him. I'm not implying that. I'm just saying, I don't think you really have a grasp how hard he works until you get to cover him and be around him every day. And I'm only seeing the tip of the iceberg. Um, nobody will know how hard he works unless they're his teammate or his coach sure. because he's in there early and he's in there late. And, and that's why he's the kind of player. He is. You know, part of the assumption that I referenced in terms of, you know, people took it for granted that Brooklyn was going to be top five, top three offensive team was, you know, it, it's kind of obvious that you have Durant, one of the greatest offensive players in history. You have Harden, who's been one of the best over the last 10 or 15 years. And you, you mentioned it. I, I'm curious as far as what you've seen in terms of the way that the foul calls have affected Harden. I mean, how much of people, people have also talked about how he didn't have much of an off season in terms of being able pr to prepare how much of the, the effect that has had on his game of that he hasn't been great so far by his standards you think has been the foul call changes and how much of it is you think physically that he's still trying to get back to himself. I'm not sure that I could put, a sound number on it, but it's certainly both. 
it's not yeah. just one or the other. Um, if you saw him, you know, through camp and in the early stages of the season, he did not have the explosion. Now, he's never been a huge ball of fast switch muscle fiber. That's not the way he played, right? Right. But he lacked even the explosion that he had last season, midseason. Um, and he would be the first to tell you that he came into last season out of shape, right? Mm. So he lacked even the explosion that he had, say, around the all-star break or through the second half of last season when he was healthy and he was not hamstrung. Um, and then the fact that, as you point out, he spent most of his offseason rehabbing as opposed to playing. Um, he just simply physically was not where we were accustomed to seeing. Now, it would be naive to say that the fouls, or I guess I should say the lack of foul calls, haven't had a serious impact. Now, he doesn't want to get fined, <laughs> right? So there are limits as to what the man can say. Because even when you're as rich as he is, money's still money, right? Sure. So he doesn't want to get fined. But if you watch him play, there are plays where he is clearly apoplectic at not getting a call. There was one the other day where he got raked across the arm, didn't get a call, and he was just so incredulous, he just sat down on the stanchion, just looking away from the ref. <laughs> First he looked at him, and he just looked away and looked at the crowd, and he's shaking his head like this. <laughs> you know, um, there has been an overcorrection. It is what it is. Uh, he is learning now or trying to figure out how to deal with that overcorrection uh, because it's going to be what it's going to be. So he's going to have to figure ways to manage his offense without getting those trips to the line. Now, I will say the other night against Orlando, he was very aggressive driving and he wasn't getting the calls, but at least he was aggressive and drove and sucked in the defense and warped the defense. And that made the Nets a better offense. He may not get eight, nine, 10 free throws, but he may have to get eight, nine, 10 assists the hard way. Yeah, I, I think for, for people here, I mean, as a team in the Southwest division that saw him four times a year for many years, I think a lot of people around here are wondering where the over this overcorrection was a few years ago, but, <laughs> but, that, but that's another conversation for another day that we'll get into some other time. Um, last thing for me, I, I think having watched Brooklyn play a few times already this year, obviously they're one of the teams that's on national TV all the time. Um, it seems like they've gotten a nice uh, contribution from a couple of their um, older veteran players. I mean, how much of an impact has LaMarcus Aldridge made so far? It seems like he's kind of turned back the clock a little bit. And, and another guy I think everyone talked about during the offseason that Patty Mills was a great addition that he was going to fit well. Um, how much of those two guys brought to the team so far? Oh, it's immeasurable. And when you consider that Kyrie Irving is out and that New York City is probably not changing their mandates anytime soon and that he has shown in, no inclination to get vaccinated. Uh, I'm sure the Nets shudder to think where they would be if they didn't have Patty Mills. Mm. Uh, his role, he was, as a mid-level exception, that's a bargain. Right. But he was a luxury addition then. In June, he was a luxury addition. 
Yeah. Now they need him, mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And as far as Lamarcus, yeah, I mean Lamarcus's old man game. I mean it translates. These rules are fine for him. I mean he can continue doing what he is doing. Um, I don't know his plans for next year, but I think he will actually get stronger as the year goes on because they have shown no inclination to overuse him. Uh, he's not starting. Mm -hmm. His minutes are in the low 20s. And Steve Nash has said, I don't want to burn him out in regular season games when he's 36 and a half. Yeah. Um, I don't want to burn him out now. I want to have him fresh. So when I need to go to him late in the season, I can do that. And I think that's probably what you'll see. Um, but they are a different team when he scores, because as you say, with no Kyrie, they do not have a reliable third option. You have two guys. And then you're next, when you, when you look at the scoring, it drops down to 12 and a half, 13, right? There's six and one when he's in double figures and they struggle when he's not. So if they are looking for a reliable third scorer, it's him. Uh, he probably will not do that as a starter. They will probably do that as a reserve because somebody needs to support that reserve unit. And that's LaMarcus. When you look at tonight's game between the Pelicans and the Nets, look, uh, for the Pelicans, you know, they're trying to snap an eight game losing streak here. And obviously they're not healthy. There is a chance that they get Brandon Ingram back, but still no determination as we tape this podcast and looking at how the Nets played against Orlando, obviously they're not a team that overlooks opponents as they had their way pretty much with an Orlando team that has also struggled this season. What sticks out to you about this matchup between these two teams tonight, who unfortunately right now for us, these teams are heading in the opposite direction. Hmm. Well, I mean, I was going to ask you more, you know, I just, I just know what I've been reading and what I've been seeing. Um, I was curious, is this team as volatile as they looked the other night? Um, I don't think I've ever seen that many technicals in one quarter. I'm sure it's happened somewhere sometime, but I've certainly never seen it. Um, you know, I mean, it's not a team without athleticism. It's not a team that can't get up and down the court. Um, it just seems to be a team that kind of needs to get all rowing in the same direction. Um, but I'm just looking forward to seeing – I'm looking forward to seeing how this team takes a punch early, right, because – the other night, the Nets played a young Orlando team, and they knew that team was young, and they said, I want to punch them in the mouth and punch them again and see if they respond and see how they respond mentally. Orlando did not respond particularly well, and that's why you got a 33-point uh, victory in that game. I'm curious to see, coming off a game where you had five technicals in one quarter, I'm curious to see how this team, this young, this New Orleans team, responds mentally when they get punched in the mouth. And if they stay together and if they stay cohesive, which Orlando did. Yeah, it should be interesting, too. Uh, real quick, Jim, before you can get back into it, I was more so going to ask, too, you know, this team is obviously eight and four, which means they have had four losses. What has been the recipe for those opposing teams and able to stop Durant and Harden and able to, to get by with a win? What has been some of the things that have caused some weakness with Brooklyn to allow them to lose those four games? 
Yeah, I'd say one of the commonalities in all of those games is they got very little. Well, they didn't get much from their bench and they didn't get much in the paint. Now, they don't have post-up threats other than Lamarcus, right? But when I say they didn't get much in the paint, I mean they didn't even get penetration. They didn't even get into the lane, right? They didn't get deep in to warp the defense to kick back out. They didn't get any of that. Um, that's how they're going to have to get pain points, other than, you know, the occasional Lamarcus post-up. Um, so the teams that didn't let them penetrate, teams that, you know, stayed in front of their man, um, that didn't let Harden get in deep, that didn't let Javon Carter penetrate, those teams are the teams that beat them. Uh, I'll give you an example. One of those – now, Chicago coming into the season, I don't think people – People thought Chicago might be nice, but I don't think they expected them to be a defensive juggernaut. Um, the Nets scored 11 points in that fourth quarter. 11, I'm sorry, they scored 17 points. 11 of them were Kevin Durant. Six of them were the rest of the team. I think they shot maybe one for 12. People that weren't named Kevin <laughs> shot one for 12. That's what happens when they don't penetrate. That's what happens when they don't get into the teeth of the defense. You keep them out of the you keep them out of the lane, then you'll keep them from scoring. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say earlier the the your point about the volatility of the Pelicans. That was a that was a bizarre situation because I don't think we've seen that all season. I mean, we're not that deep into the season. We're only twelve games in, but it it almost was like if you could take that one quarter and watch that, and then watch the other games, you would think it was a different team and I in, in terms of we haven't seen that we haven't seen guys you know have meltdowns and and one thing that was kind of odd too specifically about that those five technicals was um a couple of them were how do I put this Daniel uh they weren't really blatant like obvious technicals mm -hmm. there might have been one the, the the thing that got Josh Hart kicked out of the game I think was something that wasn't surprising if you watched the way he reacted that he got at least one technical, if not two, but one of them was for throwing the ball against the stanchion. One of them I didn't even see because it happened so quick. So um, it was, it was a little bit of a fluky thing, but I will say that, you know, you, you want, you do wonder when a team has lost this many games in a row, if there's a little bit of a shorter fuse with tempers and that, mm -hmm. you, you know, you're losing patience and you're getting frustrated. That's human nature. It's not something that I'm, pointing fingers at and saying like, it's, you know, that, that, that it, I understand part of it, of what happens. I mean, we're all frustrated when the season starts out this way, but I mean, Brooklyn definitely has the ability to put a team in a big hole in the first half or, you know, make a team even more frustrated. So this isn't exactly an ideal opponent for to be coming into town when you're playing the way the Pelicans have, and you're getting the results that they've gotten. But, uh, you know, I am curious to see, um, you know, obviously it's going to be, I'm sure it's, it's going to be a packed crowd and people are going to be coming from par other parts of the region to come for this game to see Durant and Harden play. So I think it'll be a good atmosphere, um, but it, it, it will be interesting to see the way the Pelicans react, especially after Willie Green had comments about the lack of competitiveness after the game last night that from certain guys that um, didn't play hard enough and didn't maybe didn't have the right mental approach coming in against a team like Oklahoma city that is also struggling. So it'll be really interesting to see the way the Pelicans come out for this game for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. It should be interesting to see how they come out, especially how desperate they are to get a win. And it's going to be tough with a team like Brooklyn rolling the town and then the back-to-back against the Memphis Grizzlies on Saturday night. That's Brian Lewis, who covers the NBA and the Brooklyn Nets for the New York Post. You can follow him on Twitter at NYPost underscore Lewis. Brian, I really appreciate the time. Great insight on the Brooklyn Nets for tonight's ballgame. And enjoy your time here in the Crescent City. Oh, thanks for having me. And any uh, restaurant recce's, just uh, send them my way. You got it. Brian Lewis of the New York Post. Good stuff there from Brian Lewis. We've had some great guests this week previewing our three games between the Dallas Mavericks on Monday. And then you had on Wednesday, Oklahoma City Thunder. We wrap things up with the Brooklyn Nets. Jim, the schedule just does not get any easier for the Pelicans. And, and as Willie Green talked about it last night, we talked about it on our broadcast last night was, or Wednesday night, excuse me, was the night to maybe right the ship a little bit and get back in the win column against the OKC team that is struggling. But you don't do that. And now your schedule is as follows. Brooklyn, then Memphis, then Washington, who's playing very well. And Miami, who's also playing very well on the road, then you come back and the Los Angeles Clippers roll into town. Um, I just think for the Pelicans here, you know, one of these games, you're not going to be favored most likely in any of them, but one of these games, you're probably going to have to surprise some people and, and get one win on your belt because the more and more they keep digging themselves in the hole, you get Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson back, you don't want it to be too little, too late. And you're already, I mean, you're at the, tip of that right now being one in 11. Yeah. I mean, 10 games under 500, it's the kind of thing where you look at it and you're like, even if I could snap my fingers and tomorrow make them a fully healthy team, they, they're going to need to play better than 500 ball from whatever time they get back to full strength to just eat into that, the ground that they have to make up just to get back to 500. Now, I don't think you necessarily have to be 500 to make the play in. That wasn't the case last year. There were, um, I think a couple teams in the West that were below 500 or right around it that still got in like the Spurs were the 10 seed and they were under 500. But I mean, either way, it's, it's, it's a, it's a hole that you're going to have to dig out of and it's going to take some time to do that. But you're right in terms of the schedule coming up where you're playing against some of the best teams in the league and you're playing against teams that maybe necessarily weren't necessarily predicted to be at the top of the league, but the wizards have the best record in the East so far. So I mean, that's not great either in terms of the breaks that you're catch, you're not catching in terms of opponents. But um, I do think, though, that at this point, um, the Pelicans have to look at it like, unfortunately, they're the team that other teams are, are pointing to and saying, you know, this is a chance for us to get a victory. Um, we talked about this a little bit on the postgame show uh, Wednesday night, but um, I totally understood where Willie Green was coming from in terms of his disappointment and his frustration with the performance against OKC because to, he, he referenced this at practice Thursday as well, that, you know, you can't go into a game like that saying like, okay, we can let our guard down a little bit because we're playing against a team that's not super successful. I mean, that's the way teams are looking at when they c- come against you and hopefully you can, another team will, will let down against you with the, the record that the Pelicans have. But I mean, if they're going to get some wins, they're going to have to bring it 48 minutes every single game and, and hopefully they can get some better results. But um, right now it's just not, has not been a great start, obviously. Let's go back to this Brooklyn Nets team and a subject that we've talked about off this podcast a lot and it's definitely getting the tension around the NBA is the number or lack of fouls being called in a game, obviously from Wednesday night, technical fouls are not lacking in our game against Oklahoma <laughs> city, but as far as regular season and fouls, 
um, with a new rule on the offensive side of the ball as far as, you know, the unnatural movement. And basically, James Harden and Trey Young are kind of the two guys that a lot of these changes were based off of and other players too. It's something we've seen around the entire NBA. But, you know, James Harden's had to find other ways to get to the free throw line, and Brian Lewis touched on it. How do you think it will impact whether it's the Pelicans or what you've seen from watching Nets games, how defenders are now guarding James Harden as far as, you know, him not being able to do the things he used to do when, when taking a jump shot? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it because it's not just specifically that the foul calls are down and that the free throw numbers are down. I think it's that defenders know that they can be a little bit more aggressive because some of the stuff where they put their hands in and Harden would do a rip through or a move where he put his threw his arms up in the air and the ball squirted away and all of a sudden there's a whistle. Um, it seems like there's a little bit more leeway now for defenders to get away with. I shouldn't say get away with, but kind of do stuff that's not going to draw a foul automatically. I remember a few years ago, you probably remember this, where when the Pelicans were playing Houston, they would talk about in practice or shoot around about keeping your hands to your side. And Mm -hmm. almost to the point where it was like some guys were guarding James Harden with their hands, you know, figuratively tied behind their back where they were just standing there and making sure that the ref knew, knew the whole time, okay, my hands are, are back here. I'm not reaching in. I'm not grabbing him. He and they still call that. fouls. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that's the, that was the magic of James Harden, that he still was able to get those foul calls. I mean, it was the kind of thing. I actually feel in some ways, in some weird ways, vindicated by the reaction to the, the interpretations of the foul calls, because I remember – four or five years ago during certain Pelicans Rockets games, I would be complaining either to whoever was sitting next to me in the arena or even on Twitter saying like, you know, this is not basketball. Some of these calls are frustrating and Rockets fans would jump in and say like, you know, you're just complaining because blah, blah, blah. And I understand from their perspective when they hear people from other teams complaining about Harden getting too many foul calls that they think it's totally just the bias coming through but I think we've seen that, that I think I was, I did not realize how many people across the NBA felt exactly the same way as I did about getting some of that stuff out of the game. So it's been, it's been great to see the reaction to that. And it's funny, this is a longer conversation for a different day. Um, how did I, I, sometimes I wonder like, how did it get to that point where, you know, 20 years ago, you, you never saw fouls like that. And I feel like it was kind of a gradual creeping in of, the way that they were calling the game where eventually it was like every time Harden hooked somebody, you'd be like, Oh, that's going to be a foul on the defensive guy. Every time he does the move with throwing his arms, both of his arms up and the ball bounces away. You just assumed it was going to be a foul call. And I think there was kind of a gradual um, progression, negative progression of from the officiating. And I'm so glad that they cleaned that up and we don't have to watch that garbage anymore. Yeah, no, I agree. It slowed down the game, number one, and it just rewarded players for, like we mentioned, kind of an unnatural movement that shouldn't be rewarded with foul shots. And it just, again, made the game less enjoyable. And you are seeing kind of the, not that the pace of play is a ton better. I think the pace is really not a big problem in the NBA as far as, oh, it's so slow or whatever. Games are about two hours and 15 minutes. And that's really not an issue, but the flow of the game, I feel like, seems a lot better when you're facing guys like James Harden, facing guys like Trey Young. There could be some 
you know, some stoppages where it just feels like the rhythm of the game has just been lost. And then that's where you lose your interest from your fans. So the fact that, you know, these guys, one can still score no matter if they try these moves or not. Mm -hmm. um, I think it has been helpful for this season that you're not sitting there watching these guys go to the free throw line 10, 15 times a game. And I'm so glad to see that the defenses now have a chance. I think that was one of the most frustrating things for me is it felt like there were times where no matter what the defensive player did, he couldn't, there was nothing to do. Like he was either going to give up an easy uncontested shot or he was going to get a foul called on him. So I'm glad that they've swung the pendulum back in the other direction because that was getting really annoying that you would sit there and watch the game and just be like, what, what can they possibly do? I mean, it, it, and it wasn't just Harden and Trey Young. I mean, there's other guys. Lou Williams is another example where you would just get frustrated. I remember when Lou Williams and Harden were on the Rockets at the same time. Oh, God. I think I was about to lose my mind that season. But luckily, he, uh, Lou Williams, they moved him on to a different team, and I didn't have to go seek uh, therapy and counseling. That's very – I'm glad you didn't, Jim. That's uh, definitely <laughs> a good thing that you didn't have to do that. Um, my non-premium Zoom account is telling me that I don't have too much time left, and I'd hate to be that guy that ends abruptly here. So I do want to ask real quick, let's talk about Brandon Ingram, who spoke yesterday at practice about the possibility of playing this weekend, and um, I think there's a good chance that he will play this weekend. We don't know which game yet as we're taping this podcast here. And we'll just be real with you right now. What we're taping this, the injury report has not come out. So if we say really don't know at this point, we don't know, but seems likely it's going to be questionable or probable for BI as we are taping this podcast. But Jim, I mean, he's missed the last six straight games. You've had six straight losses. And this is a guy that we talk about when this Pelicans team doesn't have Zion or BI, they don't have that closer in the fourth quarter. And what's been the biggest issue for the Pelicans is those second halves and closing out games. The only win of the season came courtesy of Brandon Ingram hitting four straight shots down the stretch and really securing that win in Minnesota. Boys, it would be good to have him back this weekend, whether it's both games or even just one to kind of get him into a rhythm. A back-to-back -back is a tough way to come back when you're, we've missed six straight games. As he said, he was a little winded during practice yesterday. Yeah, it was great. A great sign that he did fully participate in practice. Easy for me to say on yeah. Thursday. So I, I'm hopeful. And I think that was actually Literally, the word that he used, hopefully he'll be able to play, that he can be back on the court. I mean, it's so clear that they need him. And like you said, in the second half, when sometimes the talent differential catches up to the Pelicans and they don't have somebody who can get them big baskets in the fourth quarter or crunch time, they haven't had many games where they've been blown out. And so it has come down to a few possessions here or there. So if it would be great to to get him back on the court and be able to maybe close some of these games a lot better. Well, we'll see how they fare this weekend. The Brooklyn Nets roll into town tonight, 7 p.m. Central. If you're not inside the Smoothie King Center, you can watch it on Valley Sports New Orleans or listen on ESPN New Orleans 100.3 FM. Jim Eichenhofer will join me as always during the post game. Maybe we'll have a lighter post game to talk about. Maybe it's a couple of wins, you know, then you're rivals i should say the memphis grizzlies rolling the town saturday remember that's a 6 p.m start we all like 6 p.m starts on the weekend an extra hour and then you can go back to watching some football the pelicans and grizzlies on saturday night and then jim and i will have another podcast for you on monday i'll be in our nation's capital getting ready for pelicans wizards and we'll have a, a preview of that game and a recap of the weekend as well so jim i'll see you at the arena tonight my friend and i appreciate the time as always Sounds good. Let's not get any technicals. 
Man, I thought we were both going to get thrown one the other night, but uh, we were clear. Luckily, we were in the studio. BS, no more technical festivals. That was only a one-game thing, one-time admission, and he can never go back. So hopefully that is the case. So big thanks to Brian Lewis again from the New York Post and Jim Eichenhofer, as always. And until Monday, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky.